few more uh, uh, months. First Thessalonians. <clears throat> and again, thank you to those of you who have just uh, logged on. I, I trust that uh, uh, you will have a wonderful time of worship with us uh, as uh, we appreciate you faithfully logging uh, on and, and joining us via online. I don't know what time uh, you would have in your neck of the woods, but nevertheless, uh, good morning to you from uh, Australia. First Thessalonians, please, that will be our, our theme, uh, First and Second Thessalonians for uh, these next few months. And uh, again, I thank you uh, for praying for me while I was away, and I'll say a little bit more about that shortly. <clears throat> and uh, it's a long weekend, right? So that means we can stay a bit longer. <laughs> so bear with me. We've got a lot of things to cover for uh, this morning and, of course, the, the Lord's uh, table. Uh, and so I trust that you've uh, come prepared to, uh, to uh, listen to the Word of God. Well, Paul, the author of this epistle, uh, is, of course, a prominent person uh, in the early history of the church. Uh, we know Paul, uh, we're familiar with him, we've heard a lot uh, from Paul. But beloved, 18 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts uh, are devoted to Paul's ministry. He wrote 13, 14, if we include the book of Hebrews, uh, and of the 27 New Testament writings. 100 of the 260 chapters uh, were written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. A very prominent man uh, in uh, the, the, uh, the writings in the New Testament. Paul planted, plowed, and pastored a number of churches in his time, many of which had issues. Uh, no doubt some more serious than others. Uh, reading through his letters to the Thessalonians, uh, as well as the other churches, uh, there were churches that he himself planted that grieved his heart, broke his heart. Um, <clears throat> and uh, not all the time, of course, but again, some of these churches uh, broke his heart more than others. There was the carnal church of Corinth, a worldly church, fleshly, proud, <clears throat> Divided and most likely lacking in love for each other. There was the church at Galatia, who for some subscribed to a different and a defective gospel. <clears throat> they, were the, they were legalistic in their behavior and have erred from the truth and the Lord Jesus. What about the church at Ephesus? Spiritually weak living and holding on to their past sins, impatient, proud, uh, lacking in forgiveness. Then there was the other legalistic church in the church of Colossae. Like the Corinthians, some were carnal, sensual, contentious, and therefore lacking in love for each other. They were mystical in their worship of angels. Uh, the church at Philippi was no different. Some were complainers, and some marked by discord amongst them. And as one reads Paul's letters, it doesn't take long for that one to see the characteristics of these churches. Don't get me wrong, it's not as if that's all that these churches are known for. Of course, 
they had good traits, but just like any other church, they also had their own issues. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh unto me daily, daily, beloved, the care of all the churches. Can I say to you this morning that the ministry is hard? The ministry can be heartbreaking. And Paul, reading upon his epistles, must have felt that hardship all the time. It is a fact that there are many faithful pastors whose congregations are reluctant, to say the least, to follow their faithful leadership. How we all wish that this is not the case. But it is. Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy. That they may do it with joy. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. Why? For that is unprofitable for you. I tell you, there's a lot of grief in the ministry because of unfaithful congregations. But on the same breath, on the same breath, I say there is a lot of grief in the churches and congregations today because of unfaithful pastors. But praise God, there was one church. There was one church, just like the rest of them, were also not perfect. But this church brought joy unto the Apostle Paul. And that, beloved, is the church of Thessalonica. As many of you are aware, I took a few days last week as my personal retreat. As I said in the announcement, thank you for praying for me. Uh, while I was away, as uh, I have been doing that for you as well. Over the days of being alone, I had a good opportunity to just pray. Just pray. With no uh, disturbance, if you like. To just read his word. Until my eyes can no longer take it. It was a time of thinking things through. And one of my ponderings over the days, if not most, of my thoughts were really you. You, the church. How thankful I am, really, for you. Serious. Calvary Baptist Church, can I tell you this morning that you bring me joy? You do. Oh, yes, we've had a fair share of disappointments. 
uh, we had our fair share of difficulties. But in spite of that, I want you to know and hear it from me. You are my joy. Indeed you are. Like the many churches I mentioned, we are not a perfect church. Far from it. (laughs) There are burdens to bear. Challenges to confront. Issues to iron out. Nevertheless, I thank the Lord for the most part. You all are a blessing and a joy to serve. If you haven't done so as yet, please turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. And will you stand with me, please, 1 Thessalonians? <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This morning is really about an introduction to our series, which I have entitled, Ready for His Return. Ready for His Return. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you once again for this opportunity to stand before this sacred pulpit. Thank you, dear God, for the strength and the wisdom that you afforded to this servant Thank you for the sweet time of fellowship over your word and the study. And now, Lord, as uh, I attempt to do justice to your word, I pray that you would fill uh, this message with your Holy Spirit. I pray, dear God, if there's any one, two, or three that's gathered within our midst that do not know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, might today be the day of their salvation. Oh God, I pray for those of us who have made that profession of faith. For those of us who have the assurance of being with you forever and ever. I pray that today, Father, that we would be a little bit more closer. A little bit more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this time and this indeed privilege and opportunity to declare you and your word. Meet with us, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Ready for his return. Today really is all about just the introduction. That's all I have planned for us this morning. And in that already there is so much. And so let us firstly learn about the place, the people, and the purpose of why this letter was written by Paul. Thessalonica, also known as Salonica, is a major city of the Greek kingdom with a major seaport in the northwest corner of the Aegean Sea. If you like, towards the back of your Bible, there are maps, and look in particular the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and you will find Thessalonica north of Athens and southwest of Philippi. Thessalonica was located on the Ignatian Way, a major Roman road that ran through Thessalonica, Philippi, and Neapolis, and Paul would have traveled to and fro on this road during his journeys. Like all other missionary uh, Roman cities, Thessalonica was devoted to idolatry. There was Dionysius, the god of drunkenness and obscenities. Uh, There is Aphrodite, the goddess of sensual lust, amongst other gods, uh, small g, of course. The worship of Caesar uh, at a temple also occurred in Thessalonica. 
But it was in this idolatrous city that the church was planted by Paul on his second missionary journey. From Philippi, Paul and his co-laborers traveled through Amphipolis, Apollonia, via the Ignatian Way to reach Thessalonica. How do we know that? Acts chapter 17. Turn your Bibles there, please. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, here in verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There it is. Where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Note verse number 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Paul preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths and many people were saved and being saved. But, verse 5, Paul's work was cut short because of the uproar. You can see that there. They hired wicked men to stir up a riot and invaded the house of Jason where Paul uh, is said to be staying with his companions. But, verse 6, Uh, when they didn't find them there because the brethren already sent Paul and his co-laborers to Berea, Uh, these these, uh, these, um, uh, lewd men, they took Jason to the rulers of the city, accusing him that these men, Paul and his companions, the missionaries, turned the world upside down. That's their statement. The reality is they did it. Let me explain. These lewd fellows didn't understand that Thessalonica and indeed the world, beloved, today uh, was and is already upside down. And, and since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. What the gospel did and what the preaching of the gospel does, uh, it turned your world and mine And the place that it is preached to, it will turn their world right side up. Right side up. That's the power of God unto salvation. This is still true today. What the gospel does to you and me, to the person out there in the streets of Melbourne today, uh, it will turn their world upside up. From darkness unto light. From death unto everlasting life. From alienation from God to reconciliation back to God. That's what the gospel would do to any man and woman who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, the power of God unto salvation. Never underestimated. Like I said earlier, the Thessalonians had their issues. Rumors were being spread against Paul because of his sudden departure after preaching there for just three Sabbaths. There were false accusations, I'm sure. Innuendos, perhaps. Half-truths, based on conclusions, no doubt, were labeled against him in his absence. Nevertheless, 
Paul wrote the letter not to be mindful of his enemies, but encourage the believers there. And folks, look at me. We would do well to do the same. We would do well to do the same. Beloved, this is what I've learned and still learning at this very second that I'm in front of you. Don't concern yourself too much about your enemies. They're there, and they will always be there. Don't spend your precious time on them. Pray for them instead, as the, Bibles, as the Bible asks us that we should. Now understand that this epistle is one of the oldest in the New Testament. It was written in about 50-51 A.D., That means Paul wrote this epistle just some 18 years after the ascension of Christ. Very fresh uh, into the minds of people back in the day. It is also one of his shortest letters of 79 verses only. It is not heavily doctrinal in tone, but rather practical and was written to a very young church. A very young church. Somebody said, if you want to know what Paul believed, read Romans. But if you want to know how Paul lived his life, read Thessalonians. We now know, of course, that in 70 AD, Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed by Titus. And so there is reason to believe that even at this time, some 20 years before, the Jews were already or started to being subjected to some persecutions. And therefore, the believers here in Salonika were living in perilous times, pretty much the same at the time that we are living now. It's very volatile and tense in the world that we live in at the moment. Amen. There is, of course, the ongoing war in Ukraine. The escalation and buildup of military troops here in the Pacific region, more than it ever did since World War II, of course. The nervousness about the global economy. The threat of more interest rates to come. The growing distrust of the politicians and the political system in general. The ongoing threat of virus outbreaks. I can't even keep up with the, the, the name and the number now. How can we miss mentioning the profits of climate catastrophe? The increasing pressure on homelessness. And most important of all, The most critical of all and one that we should really be concerned about is the invasion of the privacy of Harry and Meghan. (laughs) What a truly global concern. But jokes aside, understand that the major theme of both Thessalonian letters is Christ coming. Christ coming. This theme is dealt with in every chapter for a total of some 40 verses, hence the title of our series, Ready for His Return. Are you? Oh, I hope you are. And I desire that you're making yourself ready for His return. We'll say more about that as we go through. Beloved, the return of Christ is a major theme of the New Testament. From Matthew to Revelation... Biblical prophecy is a fundamental of the faith once delivered to the saints, as Adam was saying this morning. 
It is not a secondary matter or some minor doctrine. Uh, it is and will be a major theme, whether the churches realize it or not, that every sound Bible-believing churches, it, it will be a major theme in this our day as we see the day approaching. Part of the reason why I feel compelled to preach on this letter again is for you and I as God's people be well grounded in prophetic truth so we can have a proper worldview and indeed understanding of the times. Not only that, so that we must also be protected from the erroneous teachings regarding Bible prophecy. A right understanding of Bible prophecy, beloved, uh, uh, produces a life of holiness, a life of obedience, a life of comfort, a life of zeal and an earnest watchfulness of the return, soon return coming of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, in August of this year, we'll have uh, Brother Peter Jackson again to come to do prophecy meetings, I trust that you will be making arrangements to be here for that, that you would plan to come. August. The Thessalonian letters, however, are not just about prophecy, but it's a letter, these are letters also of love, of obedience, of election unto salvation, of persecution, even indeed, it's about prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> As we will see over the course of our time here, we will also learn about the importance of work, the importance of labor. There will be passages of comfort and consolation, of going on to perfection through sanctification. We will see God's faithfulness and we will be challenged unto godliness in our own Christian living. And so firstly, let us meet the leadership team in this church. The leadership team in this verse. Verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. We know a lot about Paul, of course. But who is Silvanus? Silvanus is called Silas in other mentions in the Bible. He was chosen to accompany Paul on his second missionary journey, Acts 15, 27. Before that, Silas was a prophet in the church at Jerusalem, Acts 15, verse 32. It was Silas who was imprisoned with Paul in Philippi, Acts 16, 25. Silas was also with Peter when he wrote his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. And so we can see Silas as what you would call a support person. Uh, he is one that when he sees things need doing, he will be that man and he will accomplish it. He is and will be the man. He would also be that one whom the Apostle Paul could rely on when he is perhaps discouraged and down in the dumps, so to speak, with the daily care of the church's Silas. Oh, how one needs a person like Silas in the ministry.
as a poet and not as a planter. Submissive, not superior-minded. A solution to the problem rather than the cause of a problem. Caring, not critical. Sensitive, rather than insensitive or dismissive. Cooperative, rather than disruptive or divisive. Oh, how one would need a silence. I praise the Lord and I'm thankful for the Sylvanuses the Lord has sent my way. They know who they are. No need to mention names. Every day of my waking moment as a pastor, I thank God for these men. But would to God that he, was, he would give us more silos in our church? More Sylvanus. And then there is young Timothy, who was called to be Paul's co laborer at Derby earlier on his second missionary journey, Acts 16, verses 1 to 3. We now know, of course, the long lasting relationship Paul had with Timothy, being his son in the faith. He was a loyal co worker. In the Bible, Timothy appeared with Paul more than any other person. Which means he was always with Paul and by his side. He was with Paul not only on his second but also on his third missionary journey. He stayed with Paul knowing the dangers he will face in Jerusalem. Acts 20. Where Paul will be arrested by the Romans and eventually stripped to Rome, Colossians 1, verse 1, to be imprisoned and then ultimately executed. Timothy was there. Timothy was and has been a loyal companion and co laborer with Paul until the end of his life in Rome. Again. How one needs a Timotheus, a co-laborer, a co-loyal companion in the ministry. But what I want us to learn is not just their names, but notice how they served in the church. How they served in the church. Back in our text in 1 Thessalonians, firstly, They were men of prayer, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Secondly, they were proclaimers. That is, they preached the gospel not in their power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. They also preached boldly and faithfully, even after they suffered and been spitefully treated at Philippi. Turn to chapter 2. 
For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Beloved, here is a mark of faithful leadership in a church. They spoke the word of God without compromise. Not to please men, but rather please God. Come down to verse 9 with me, please. Chapter 2, verse 9. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Uh, Come to verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God which ye heard of us, ye receive it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That's what they did. These leaders... They preached the word faithfully and boldly. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were prayerful leaders. They were preachers. And notice thirdly, verse 3, and chapter 1, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the sight of God, um, Sorry, on the wrong chapter, chapter 2, verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Thirdly, these leaders maintained purity. Maintained purity in their dealings with the church. They were prayerful. They preached the word boldly and faithfully. They manifested purity in their dealings with them. Notice also now verse 9. That they did not profit for them or from them. They did not take advantage of them. They were not burdensome. They did not put demands on them. And lastly, certainly not the least, notice how they lead them pleasantly. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Here we find the leadership team being also described as a nurse. A nursing mother to her children is the idea here. Here we find... uh, uh, the word cherisheth in the Greek is talpo. It primarily means to heat or to soften by heat, to keep warm as of birds covering their young with their feathers. Deuteronomy 22.6, you can look that up in your own time. And so the picture of gentleness here is a nursing mother cherishing her children with tender love, with tender care. Those children that she, ho- that she bore and nursed, she lays them in her bosom, hugs them in her arms, warms and cherishes them, nourishes them with her breast, bears with their frowardness, that is their reluctance to yield or comply or their disobedience. 
This is the idea of condescending to do the meanest that which is the lowliest things for them without any self-interest from a pure parental affection for them. Yet that is what it meant to be gentle in serving. Not just being nice, but gentle. That is what Paul and his companions were to the Thessalonians. Oh, Calvary Baptist Church, I cannot speak for Branco, but would to God that I would to you in some small way like these men were to the Thessalonians. I know. I know. I may not or perceive to be not always pleasant or labeled to be not pleasant. I know that I'm not always pleasant to deal with. I know I'm not there yet, but I desire to be. By the grace of God and enablement, I would like to be. Will you pray for me and the leaders or would-be leaders of our church into the next 50 years if we have to be like these men, prayerful, preachers boldly and faithfully, Men who are pure in their dealings. Men who will not profit from you. And yes, pleasant. Parental even to the flock. Oh, what godly leaders and examples are these three. Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus to the church at Thessalonica. If that is so, and it was, let us now learn what kind of a church was the Thessalonian church. Now we learn about the leadership. Let us examine the character of the congregation in this church. Well, look at verse 1 again. They were a church. They were a congregation that is firstly and most importantly uh, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? A church that is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that this is the only place in the New Testament that a church is called, or described as so? Wow, what a description of a church this is. They are in God. That means they have an intimate relationship. They are walking in close fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, For without Christ, beloved, sinners have no part in God the Father. Beloved, these are not just mere words from the Apostle Paul. And sadly, this cannot be said of every church that professes Christ. 
The church at Thessalonica was in God because it had a genuine membership and or attendance of believers who gave clear evidence of their election unto salvation. Verses 4 to 10 tells us that. And we will cover this doctrine of election next time. I encourage you to be in church for this. The tragedy in this our day and age, a great many churches, even those that claim to be Bible-believing churches, uh, well, they are no longer that careful in receiving members uh, uh, and just accept doubtful professions uh, uh, in, in their uh, membership. Uh, in such a case, that church is now filled with unsaved and saved multitude of believers. And how can it be in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ when there is unbelieving in the midst? Notice secondly, they are recipients of grace and peace. Still here in verse 1. Grace unto you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, I believe is not just a mere formality or greeting from the Apostle Paul here. I believe uh, through these words he describes the believer's standing. The believer's new standing before God through Christ. It is not something that is just a mere prospect or a possibility. It is reality and a possession by the genuine believer. Grace and peace is how God looks at His children uh, and he, He granted them both grace and peace. Romans 5, 1 and 2 uh, turn your Bibles there, please. It's good to, to see this. Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 1 and 2. Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His what? Grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Grace and peace is everything the believer has in Christ. Uh, the free gift of salvation that was purchased by the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Romans 3, 24-25. Grace is that all-encompassing uh, one-word description of salvation. Grace comes before peace because it is God's grace in Jesus Christ that brings the believer to a position of peace with God. Talk about triplets. There is a specific order. Peace is reconciliation with God. We have peace from God because we have peace with God. Through the atonement of Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 what unspeakable blessing it is to be reconciled with the Almighty God. 
Peace comes today to any individual who will come and believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation. Peace will come to this world when the Prince of Peace sits upon his throne uh, and rules in righteousness. Not until then, beloved. This world currently has no peace because mankind is not at peace with God. Isaiah 48 verse 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Let me dig deeper. Let me expound this even more. Grace and peace can be best understood by what you and I are by nature in Adam. Before salvation, we were enemies of God because of sin, Romans 5.10. We were separated from Him and were under His wrath, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. In Adam, we are by nature the children of wrath, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. In Adam, we are shut out from the presence of God. We cannot approach God. His throne is a throne of judgment. But praise God, in Christ, all that has changed. All of that has changed. For we have been given. We have been the recipients. Just like the Thessalonians were. We were recipients of God's grace and peace. Whereas before God's throne is a throne of judgment before us. In Jesus Christ. That throne now is a throne of grace. A throne of grace. It became a throne of grace to which we are all invited on to come boldly in His presence. Still as sinners, still as sinners, but only this time sinners saved by grace. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful thought that we have. Hebrews 4, verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Notice thirdly another uh, of the congregation's character, their work of faith. Remembering verse 3, Without ceasing your work of faith. Let's just stop here for a moment. Work? Faith? Isn't that oxymoron? Isn't that contradictory? Well, let's find out. Beloved, there are two things to consider from this statement. First, acceptable works are the product of the saving faith. Acceptable works are the product of of the saving faith. Faith in Jesus Christ purifies and positions the sinner before God and makes his works acceptable to him. (coughs) To attempt to produce good works apart from saving faith is vain religion. It is nothing but self-righteousness. It is like Cain's offering Uh, Within the works of his hands, Genesis 4, verses 3 to 5. Man's work, apart from faith in Christ, are unclean before God. 
How do we know that? But we are all as unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 6. Second, saving faith produces good works. Saving faith produces good works. Our works are the product uh, and evidence of our faith. Any faith that does not change our life is not saved faith. This is the theme of the book of James, remember? What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James 2, verses 14, 17, and 26. And you can look that up to yourself. What James is saying here is, the so-called faith that does not produce works is not true faith. Paul and John taught the same thing in Romans 6, in Titus 1, and in 1 John chapter 2. You can again look that up for yourselves. I just don't have time anymore. Now notice, fourthly, the Thessalonian congregation and their labor of love. Labor of love, still in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. My dear ones, I say it again, there is labor to be done for Christ and His cause, and the Thessalonians are all over it. They understood, and so should we, what it means to be saved unto good works. Ephesians 2.10 They and we are redeemed to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Titus 2. Verse 14. The word labor here is kopos. Primarily, it denotes a striking, a beating, similar or related to kopto, meaning to strike, to cut. The idea here is toil or toiling, laboring, resulting in weariness. Laborious toil is the idea, according to Vines. It is translated weariness in 2 Corinthians 11.27. This type of labor is what we see in Paul's life. I labored, I kopiao, uh, more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Folks, the labor that pleases God is the labor of love. The labor of love. It is grounded in God's love. And it treats love as the chiefest of quality. As emphasized by Christ and the apostles. Sadly, many Christians have labored but without love. Did you get that? Many Christians have labored but without love. Many have even labored in their unregenerate condition without the Spirit. They have labored according to church sacraments and traditions. Therefore, they have labored in the flesh. 
History tells us many have labored under the banner of Christianity. They labored in cruel and unjust inquisitions and militant crusades during the Reformation, resulting in the loss of thousands, if not millions, of innocent lives. And our Baptist heritage is one of those that have lost their lives for being Baptists. We were never part of the Reformation. Amen, Brother Chris. We were not part of the ones that reformed from the Catholic faith. We've always been and we've always existed as one. Oh, beloved, never underestimate yourselves being Baptists. Our forefathers have fought for our faith. Our forefathers have lost their lives. Baptism by immersion is not just something that we do. It has meaning. It has history behind it. And that's why we believe solely on it. Because we see it in the Bible. We see it in the example of Jesus Christ. We're not a Baptist because we baptize. We are a Baptist because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having said that, we're not a perfect Baptist church either. And many times I am grieved that churches call themselves Baptists. And yet the practices and the things that go on in these churches today. Calvary Baptist Church, are you? Am I? Are we laboring in love just like the Thessalonians did? Or are we laboring begrudgingly, reluctantly, or perhaps even self-promotingly? Oh, my dear ones, please don't. Let us not labor just for the sake of it. Let us labor in love for the Lord. The Thessalonian congregation were in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were recipients of God's grace and peace. They were workers, workers of and in faith. They were laborers in love and still in verse 3, they also had patience in hope. Did you see that? They had patience in hope. You have heard it said... Patience is a virtue. Indeed it is. It is an essential characteristic of a Christian and his Christian life. It is necessary because of his trials and testings. Again, you have heard it preached. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12.1 Beloved, patience is a product of hope. You and I can be patient and continue in the faith because of our hope. Hope in Christ. And hope is based on the promises of God's infallible word. Hope is confidence in God's word, in what he says is true. There is nothing uncertain about biblical hope. I say it again, it's not a hope so, but a hope sure. 
Not a hope so, but a hope sure. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 16 tells us that this hope is an everlasting consolation. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. The writer of Hebrews referred to this hope as a strong consolation that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Hebrews 6 verse 18. Everlasting consolation, strong consolation, as if that wasn't enough. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. This hope is also referred to as the anchor of the soul is steadfast and sure. Who is the anchor of our soul? Oh my dear ones, the anchor of our soul is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ steadfast and sure. The blessed hope. Never get tired of it. Ponder upon it every waking moment of your life. It could be today that my Lord may come. Who would sing that? I'd love to hear that song. Maybe today my Lord may come again. Oh, beloved. If we are to stand firm or move forward into this wicked fallen world, if we are to endure hardships in our trials and afflictions, we are to hope in the Lord and in His Word. If we are to be successful in our living here. In closing, and as I had an opportunity, like I said, to have a few days alone with the Lord, allow me to say this, please. And I mean every word of it. I desire and I prayed for us that we be like this church at Thessalonica. Would you join me in prayer for that? That we be Calvary Baptist Church here in 2023 that somehow in some small way become like the church at Thessalonica. My, bro- my brothers and sisters, I had my own personal confessions that I did unto the Lord over the last few days. I pray that he will mold me to be a pastor that is prayerful. Even more prayerful. I pray that he would give me the boldness and the faithfulness to preach his word. Regardless of the criticisms. Regardless of the cause. Regardless of the consequences. And oh, how I desire to be a pastor that is pleasant. Pleasant as if a nursing mother to her children. Would you pray? I covet. I'm sincere. I'm not just being dramatic here. Would you pray that your pastor be like these leaders? Would you also pray with me that we would have and that the Lord would provide our church a Silvanus, a Timothy. Perhaps not just one or two or three, but a plenty. Oh, a plenty of Silvanuses 
and Timotheus in our assembly. And then, beloved, as we approach our 50th anniversary, would we desire and pray that we would be a church that is in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, mindful and thankful that we are recipients of God's grace and peace. And because of it, as a consequence, we would be motivated to work in faith, labor in love, and indeed hope in our Lord Jesus Christ as we see the day approaching. Oh, Calvary Baptist Church, would that be your prayer? I know we're praying for our needs, mortgage repayment, more money for groceries, people getting sick. I'm not dismissing that. They're all important. But would to God that we would pray for our church in these last days that we would be like the Thessalonians. We keep on saying we want to see the day come. We say even so come Lord Jesus and yes, I agree. Cannot wait. But in the meantime, we can see him in the emblems of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. As we gaze upon these symbols, we see the sinless body of Jesus Christ in the unleavened bread. We see how he poured his blood willingly. For without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sins. He willingly did that. And so as we look forward to his coming, or better yet said, we coming to him and meet him in the clouds, let us remember the one who paid the price so that you and I can have the assurance of meeting with him in the air and be with him forever and ever. Can we bow our heads in prayer, please? Amen.